Thank you, Chad. Welcome to week two in the book of Proverbs. We're talking about wisdom. If you have a Bible, take it out. Find the book of Proverbs. Last week, we focused on the idea of fear, in particular, fearing God, and as a small subset, not fearing man. This morning, we are going to talk about money. I hope I've got all the verses on the screen correctly. You can follow along there if you'd like to do that or if you want to try to flip through Proverbs as we go or click through on your Bible app, you can do that as well. There are some notes in your bulletin, and if you look at the top of the the notes, you see that we're going to start with Bob Marley. I don't know that I've ever started a sermon by quoting Bob Marley. But we're going to do it this morning, so let's go to Jamaica, and I'll save the, the accent for later. But Bob Marley said, money is numbers, and numbers never end. If it takes money to be happy, your search for happiness will never end. Now, we may not agree with Bob Marley on many things, but I think we can agree at least on the idea that money will not make you happy. There is not enough money in the world. You cannot have enough, you cannot get enough, you cannot consume enough so that money ultimately brings satisfaction into your life. So I agree with him, and I like the quote in that sense. My problem with the quote is twofold. Number one, he has not told us where we can find happiness. And number two, he has not told us how we ought to handle money. So when we think about wisdom and we think about the issue of money in particular, we need more than this little soundbite, and when you turn to the book of Proverbs, you do find more. Here's our working definition of wisdom. We've talked about this uh, now two weeks in a row, and we're going to hit it every week in this series. Biblical wisdom is fearing God, knowing God's will, and living in light of God's will. So we're not concerned with your IQ or your SAT scores. We're not concerned with, you know, how how well you can do on this test or that test. We're not talking about simple intelligence about facts and figures. But we're saying, first of all, if you're going to be wise, you must fear God. That was what we talked about last week. Now, starting this morning, for the next several Sundays, we're going to talk about this idea of knowing God's will, this morning in particular, about money, and then also, how do we actually live in light of God's will? And both of those things are required for you and me to be wise people, starting with the fear of God, knowing what His will is in our life, and also actually living it. All three of those things have to be thread together in order for wisdom to be present. Now, as Americans, let's just try to stop before we talk about money and gain a little bit of perspective as best we can when it comes to money. I read some interesting things this week. One of the interesting things I read is that the nine richest people on earth have as much money in 2018 as the poorest half of humanity. These names, Larry Page, Larry Ellison, Carlos Slim, Bernard Alnott, Mark Zuckerberg, who was in the news this week, Amancio Ortega, Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos. You add up the wealth of those nine men, and it is the equivalent of how much wealth the poorest four billion people on the earth have. I don't know how that falls on you, but that's an incredible statistic. Let's bring it home from a global scale to an American scale. If you take the 
three richest men, the bottom names on that list, Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, and you add up all the money they have, they have as much wealth as the poorest half of people in the United States of America. Take the poorest 160 million Americans, add up all their wealth, it's the equivalent of those three men. So we start with that, and you say, and I say, clearly this sermon is intended for three Americans and nine people, right? (laughs) Too bad none of them are here this morning. I didn't expect any of them to be here this morning. Maybe they'll listen to the podcast, I don't know, but probably not. We'll share it on Facebook and see if Mark Zuckerberg comes across it. You know as well as I do that the issue of money is not just an issue for the nine wealthiest men on the earth or the three wealthiest Americans. It's an issue for all of us. Whether you have a lot or whether you have a little or whether you think you have a lot or you think you have a little, let's add one more statistic just for a little bit of perspective globally. In Kenya, we go to Kenya every year, the average income is $1,380 a year. That comes out to $115 a month and $4 a day. I know that there are other rich countries in the world. I know that we're not the only rich country. I know that if you compare many standards of wealth, there are countries that are richer than the United States. But I also know, and you need to know, that when you were born or when you came to the United States, you hit the economic jackpot. Money is an issue for you. Whether you realize it or not, it's an issue. If you live in Odessa, Texas in 2018 and someone in your household is gainfully employed, money is an issue for you. And you need wisdom from the Bible about how we think about money, how we handle money, how does the fear of God translate into how we use the money that God has entrusted to us. Now, we need to be careful in Proverbs. Let me say one more thing. Proverbs presents a complex picture of wealth. Now listen. I am not saying that it's a complicated picture. I'm not saying to you that it's hard to understand. It's not hard to understand what Proverbs has to say about money, and we're going to make it as clear as we can this morning. But it's also not simple. You can't just boil it down to one soundbite. I can't just boil it down to one little idea and put it on a nice mountain backdrop and post it to my Facebook page and say, this is everything that the Bible says or that the book of Proverbs says about wealth. Because it is a complex picture of wealth. There's many different parts to it this morning. That's why this sermon has multiple points, seven points, not just one point. And so our goal is to walk away this morning and say, this is what the book of Proverbs says about wealth. It's a complex picture. We need to take several different ideas from across the book and combine them together. So here we go. Seven truths about wealth from the book of Proverbs. Number one, God blesses the righteous with wealth. He blesses the righteous with wealth. And I'm going to put Proverbs 22.4 up on the screen. It says, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life to which every televangelist in the world says amen and amen and amen. And that's where they stop. They say, look, I have a Bible verse. It's biblical. 
but they're presenting to you a watered-down, truncated, small view of what the book of Proverbs says about wealth. Now look, we don't want to make the opposite mistake and rip it out of our Bibles. We're going to, we're going to include it. The, the book of Proverbs says it. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor in life. Does that mean that if you fear the Lord and you're a humble person that you're automatically going to be a millionaire? No, it doesn't. Does that mean that if you are a millionaire or you are a wealthy person, that that must mean that you're righteous and humble and that you fear the Lord? No, that's not true either. The book of Proverbs presents us with general truths about how we can expect life to work. And one of those truths is, as much as we may bristle against the health and wealth gospel, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. I would just remind you that God may or may not be operating on an American scale of riches. You may think, oh, this is great. I just saw the three richest men in the United States, so I do A, B, and C, and we're going to add a fourth to that list. Well, what if God uses a Kenyan scale for riches? So be careful. Fear the Lord. Humility. The reward for those things is riches and honor in life. Let's add to that Proverbs 13, 25 that says this. The righteous has enough to satisfy his appetite, but the belly of the wicked suffers want. That's one that you may need to chew on for a while. There's a lot of things in the book of Proverbs, if you will actually slow down and read it, are really going to make you think, because one of the things that Proverbs recognizes throughout the book is that wickedness sometimes results in wealth. And here, the author of the proverb says, the belly of the wicked suffers want. Why? Well, because there's not enough money in the world to make you happy or satisfied. And the flip side of that is that the righteous has enough to satisfy his appetite. Now, let's say one word about poverty that falls under this heading of money. This is number two on your outline. Poverty can be caused by laziness and injustice. Poverty can be caused by laziness and injustice. And if you come to the book of Proverbs simplistically, you may only see one side of this, but you need to see both sides of it. Look at Proverbs 10, 4. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. If you're lazy, you shouldn't expect to be wealthy. Generally, the book of Proverbs is telling you this is how it works, is that if you work hard, if you're diligent, if you invest your time and your energy into your work, there is a reward for that. That's generally how it works. Laziness, on the other hand, generally results in poverty. But that's not all that the book of Proverbs says, because we'll add this verse from the book of Proverbs, 13.23. The fallow ground of the poor would yield much food but it is swept away through injustice. Notice it does not say the fallow ground of the poor would yield much food if they would just get out of bed and plow it and work. It says there's potential for wealth here for this poor man. The problem isn't his laziness. The problem is injustice. And so let me tell you a quick story. I'll put a picture up on the screen. This is a picture from Tanzania And the guy on the right is named Sila, and I met him about 10 years ago or so. And Sila is a sustenance farmer and a pastor. 
in Tanzania, close to the coast. And that's his family. And they are in the process of making charcoal. His family owns one of these. I saw it in the market after we visited his home. And I said, i got to have one of these. He owns one of these. A machete. Okay? Just exactly like this. Same color of case and everything. They use their one machete to fell trees, to cut them down. They start with small trees. They hack them down. And they make a layer of small trees down on the bottom. And then they use this to hack down the trees that you see on top there. Those are pretty big when you start using one of these. They hack them down and they cut them down to size and they put them on top. You can see in the background there are more small sticks. Those small sticks are going to go back on top of the pile. When the pile is complete, they're going to take dirt and they sort of cover the whole thing in dirt and they leave a hole on both ends and they light the whole thing on fire and it smolders. And they just let it smolder for about a week. When it's done, they take the dirt off and they have charcoal. They bag it up. They put it in these giant sacks that are about as tall as my eyeballs. Big, giant sacks. And they carry them on their back to the market, which is miles away. And they sell one of those giant bags of charcoal for $1.50. And this pile will yield about 15 or so of those bags of charcoal. It takes his entire family working together about a month. So a whole family working together with one of these for a month to make charcoal. And the end result of that is $20 in their pocket. That's poor. But it's not lazy. And the book of Proverbs gives us an answer for a situation like this. How do you explain somebody who is clearly not lazy? They are working hard. They're doing everything they can do to provide for their family. But the government of their country is so corrupt, so unjust, that no one has a chance. And the whole economy is in shambles. The book of Proverbs is saying to you, look, some of you are poor because you're lazy. And you need to get a job. And you need to get off your mama's couch. And you need to go out there and do some work. Some of you are poor because of injustice. And you're doing the absolute best that you can. And the situation, the deck, so to speak, is stacked against you. Both of those things are true when you think about wealth and you think about poverty in the book of Proverbs. Sometimes poverty is caused by laziness. Sometimes it's caused by injustice. You understand, I hope, that both of those things can be true in Tanzania and both of those things can be true in the United States. Next, the wealth of the wicked will not last. It will not last i got about six verses here, and I'm going to put them up, and we're going to read them quickly. Proverbs 10.2 says, Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. Proverbs 11.18, The wicked earns deceptive wages, 
but the one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. And you see the contrast. These deceptive wages are not a sure reward. They're not something that you can count on. Righteousness gives you a sure reward. Proverbs 13, 11, Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. The next three. Proverbs 20:17 Bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man but afterward his mouth will be full of gravel Proverbs 21:6 The getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death One more 22:16 Whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty Look, you go back, you read those verses, you think about them, you run them through your brain. That's what the book of Proverbs is designed for you to do. Not just to read them quickly and move on, but to actually stop and to meditate on them and to think on them. And all those verses in different ways are saying to you that the wealth of the wicked will not last. It won't last in this life, and you certainly can't take it into the next life. If you want a sure reward, a certain unshakable foundation underneath your feet, money is not that foundation. Number four, those who are blessed with wealth must be generous. If you're blessed with wealth, you are expected to be generous. Three different verses here. Proverbs 14, 21 says, whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Whoever oppresses a poor man, just a few verses later, insults his maker. But the one who is generous to the needy honors him. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Proverbs 19, 17. You look at those verses and you say, well, man, that's tough. Does that mean that every time I see somebody panhandling on the corner that I need to get my wallet out and start handing cash over? No, it doesn't. But if you never help the needy and the poor, the book of Proverbs says there's a problem in your life and it's in your heart. Because those who have been entrusted with wealth, those who have been blessed with wealth are expected to be generous towards those who are needy. Now look, I could give you all sorts of ideas and bullet points and thoughts about what that ought to look like in your life and I'd end up being like a Pharisee, adding a bunch of rules to God's word. You can't boil this down to a bullet list of points. It's a heart issue that you've got to think about and I've got to think about. Those who are entrusted with wealth are called to be generous. You say, but what if I get taken advantage of? What if somebody pulls one over on me? Well, that's on them. You be generous. Number five, wisdom is better than wealth. Wisdom is better than wealth. Two verses here in particular I want you to see, and I don't have a whole lot to say about them. I just want you to hear them and read them and think about them for a second. Proverbs 16, 16. How much better to get wisdom than gold? To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. I just want you to stop and ask yourself, If that truth, that proverb really sunk down into your heart, deep into your bones, if that became part of who you were and who you are, would anything in your life change, need to change, 
need to be repented of. The idea that it is better to get wisdom than it is to have a pile of gold. It's better to have understanding of the Lord and His will than it is to have silver. Proverbs 28.6, Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. Do Americans really believe that? Do church-going Christians really believe that? That it would be better for me to be a person of integrity and have wisdom than it would be for me to have a giant pile of money where I wouldn't have to worry about finances anymore. I know that it's easy for you and for me to give the right answer. But when you think about these Proverbs, you need to slow down and you need to meditate on them. Wisdom is better than wealth. Number six, God's glory is more important than wealth. God's glory is more important than wealth. I'm about to put up, this is my favorite passage in the whole book of Proverbs. Okay, here it is. Proverbs 30, verse 7, 8, and 9. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Okay, he has two requests. Remove from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. How many of you have heard of the book, The Prayer of Jabez? Show of hands, some of you. How many of you have read that book? Any of you read the book? My take on the book is it's not nearly as good as some people think it is. And it's not nearly as bad as other people think it is. I'm just kind of in the middle with, eh. Okay? But in American culture, the books really sort of took on a life of its own. And the life of its own resulted in people talking about this prayer of Jabez and saying, look, if you would just pray the right prayer, if you would just say the right thing. I'm not saying this is what the book claims. I'm just telling you this is what happened in our twisted Christian culture. If you just pray the right thing, say the right thing, God's going to take care of all your money troubles and your bank account's going to be full and you're going to get more and more and more and there's not going to be any end to it. Prayer of Jabez. These verses come at the very end of Proverbs in a section that says these are the Proverbs of Agur. Okay? If you want to keep the prayer of Jabez, great. Let's just balance it with the prayer of Agur. And Agur says this, look, I have two things I'm asking you. Number one, do not make me so poor. Do not make me so poor that I'm tempted to steal because in stealing, I'll be rebelling against you. I'll be failing to trust you to provide for me. And the end result is that you are not glorified in that. So I don't want to be so poor that I'm tempted to steal and take matters into my own hands, lacking faith and breaking your law. Don't make me that poor. We hear that and we say, amen. I don't want to be that poor. Any of you want to be that poor? Of course you don't. Then the next request. Don't make me rich. How many Americans are willing to pray that prayer? Do not make me rich. Because if I am too rich, if I have too much money, I'm going to step back and say, the Lord? Who's the Lord? I earned this money. 
I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. I'm a self-made man, a self-made woman. Don't talk to me about the Lord. I worked for this, and it's mine. Don't make me so poor that I might steal and lack faith. We say, great. Don't make me so rich that I forget you. That's the prayer of Agur. And either way, he's reminding us that God's glory in our lives is more important than wealth. It would be better for you and better for me if we were not filthy, stinking rich and we continued to trust in the Lord and depend on the Lord than if we had all the money in the world and we didn't have to worry about it. Because the consequence of that is, the result is of that, we may walk away and say, well, I've worked for it. I've earned it. I don't really need to depend on the Lord for my daily bread because I've taken care of that myself. God's glory is more important than wealth. Last idea is this. Wealth has temporary value. Temporary value. The book of Proverbs does not have a negative view of money. The book of Proverbs says many encouraging things about money and those who have money, working for money, earning money, stewarding our money. We just need to remind ourselves that it has temporary value. Look what we read in Proverbs 11, verse 4. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Riches will not help you on the day of judgment, but righteous delivers from death. That's a discouraging verse in a lot of ways. Because the one thing that you can go out there and earn isn't going to help you in the end. And the one thing that you really need in the end is not something, according to the Scripture, that you can get on your own. And if you don't think that this is a big issue and the stakes are really, really high, you just need to listen to what Jesus says. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, he told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life? What shall a man give in return for his life? Jesus said an awful lot about money, and this is one of the most sobering things he said. And it fits perfectly with the book of Proverbs. There's value in wealth. I'm not saying that we all need to go out and liquidate and quit our jobs and just trust God to provide. The Bible gives us a million reasons not to do that. You just got to have the the right perspective here. That what you really need on the day of judgment is not money. It's not going to profit you. It's not going to help you. And what you really need is righteousness. That's what delivers from death. The problem is you can't get the righteousness that you need on your own. And so we end with this last idea. When it comes to eternity, we need something other than money to give us hope. We need Jesus. Proverbs says money and riches and wealth and gold and silver aren't going to help you on the day of wrath. What you need to be delivered from death is righteousness. The only way that you can get that righteousness is by coming to Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Such a simple verse. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. That is, God the Father made God the Son to be sin. He was sinless, but he made him sin. Why? So that in Jesus, we 
sinners might become the righteousness of God. That's what you need. I know you need money to pay your bills. I know we need money to operate as a church. I know money in some real sense that we never would want to deny makes the world go round and round. That's fine. But in the end, it's not going to deliver you from death. And it's not going to save you on the day of wrath. And the book of Proverbs and Jesus himself say, what you need is righteousness. You, me, sinners, rebels against the Lord, People who have fallen short of his standard need righteousness to be delivered from death. And the only way to find it is not to manage your money better, is not to be a better person, but is to come humbly to Jesus and to say, look, I believe that you were made sin for me. And I believe that your righteousness can be mine when I put my faith in you. And more than I need a big pile of money, I need righteousness to be delivered on the day of wrath. I need righteousness to be delivered from death. I want you to bow, and I just want you to spend a few minutes reflecting. I want you to think about some of the Proverbs that we've read. And I want you to take a minute to think about, in your life, what needs to change if you were to really believe that these Proverbs are true. I want you to stop for a moment and think about your hope. Is it in money? Is it in riches? Are you looking for a little bit more in the bank to find happiness? I want you to stop and think about the day of wrath and the reality of possibly gaining all of the money in the world and losing your soul. And I want you to reflect on what your ultimate hope is in. So easy to give the right answer to outwardly when you're sitting in a church service. But in your own heart as you think and as you reflect, where is your hope? Where is your hope for this life and where is your hope for the next life? And if it's not in the righteousness that you can have through Jesus, I pray that today you would repent and that you would run to the cross in faith. Father, what a great privilege to study your word. What a humbling thing that you have spoken to us. That you have given us a word with authority and power. A word that is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. Father, forgive us when we mindlessly go through life living just like all the other people around us. Father, this morning as we stop to think about money and wisdom and eternity, Father, take what is true and lasting and important and press it home in our hearts. Father, help us to be people who are wise when it comes to money. 
Father, help us to be people who look to Jesus for righteousness. And I pray for those in the room. Father, I know there are people who are here who have never looked to Jesus truly in faith, humbly confessing their sin, coming desperately and begging you for what only you can provide, the righteousness that delivers from death and that saves on the day of wrath. Father, we believe that it can only be found in Jesus, that money is no sure foundation for our lives, but that the blood of Jesus is that foundation. The righteousness of Jesus is that foundation. Father, be honored as we take a moment to sing and to respond as we, your people, worship you and praise you. Father, move in our hearts, convict us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.